This morning we're going to be wrapping up our sermon series to the book of 1 Timothy. But before we do that, I would just like to also just bow and pray. So would you pray with me? So thank you, Lord Jesus, uh, for your word. It's a living word that is uh, as powerful and relevant today as it was to the audience it was first spoken to. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we are yours and that you hold us fast and you help us to stand firm through all the storms and challenges of our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have given us everything that we need for life and godliness so that we can know the truth and walk in your ways. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that as we pray, we're not praying to some imaginary or made-up God. We're praying to the living God, the one who alone is king, the one whose words are truth. And so today we come, uh, we, we ask you to speak to your church and do your work in our hearts so we might know you better and love you more. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we're going to be looking at the last 11 verses of chapter 6 of 1 Timothy. So if you want to take out your Bibles or devices and turn there, and just as you're doing that, um, when I come to the end of a book study like this, when we do, I, I almost feel like I need to pull a, a John Montgomery and stand in front of you like the Amazing Race Canada and, and say something like, um, and this is, this is accurate, after 22 weeks, uh, six chapters, 113 verses and 15 sermons, congratulations, you have made it to the end of this amazing journey through the book of 1 Timothy. I guess that doesn't work for you, but for me, I always feel like I should say something like that. Okay, so we're going to look at the scripture right now, and it's 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're reading from the New International Version. So let's read this together. It says this, But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you, were made, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives uh, to every, to life to everything and, to, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Now command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and, and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves treasures as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what is entrusted, has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas uh, of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in doing so have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. And that's the end of the book of uh, 1 Timothy. 
So I, I think as you can see uh, today that the Paul packs a lot into these final few verses. And so I, I want to just jump right in this morning so we can get through it. Uh, Paul begins this, this final section with a, with a personal word and a, a direct word to young Timothy. He begins with the words, But you, man of God, flee from all this. And of course, all this is referring to something that he had spoken about earlier in the chapter. In fact, all this started off with some of the some some words around uh, riches and wealth. And in First Timothy chapter six, verse nine and ten, I want to read these verses because they're connected to what we've just said. And these are the the words that Pastor Kel spoke from last week. But this is what it says in verse nine and ten: Those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from these things. It wasn't just um, Paul's desire for, for him to flee from financial gain. Paul was actually telling Timothy to flee from all the things that the, the pulled him and the church away from the mission. Things like we've talked about already, like false doctrines and, and those who teach them. Things like um, chasing after myths and endless controversies, which just end up distracting leaders and pulling the church away from the life-giving gospel message it's supposed to proclaim. And as Paul wraps up his letter to Timothy, he's basically saying to him, Timothy... Okay, we've seen all this happen. We know all these people. You need to run from these things. You need to live your life differently. You know, these things that have captured people, don't mess with them. Don't even dabble in them. Just, just walk away. Now, one of the bedtime stories um, that my grandson always wants me to tell him is of a canoe trip I took our youth group on um, way, way back years ago up in northern Saskatchewan when I was Ebenezer's youth pastor. And we had, a, we had a fairly large group uh, that year. And so our, our guide, who is, his name is Dave Toth, he actually attends here as well, um, suggested that we split up and, and do different portages to get to the same lake. And so he kind of pointed out where we needed to go. But if you've ever, ever been up north, by the way, I'm the good-looking, handsome guy in the center there, right front center. Um, but, but uh, uh, you know, if you've ever been up north, you know that it's kind of hard to, to navigate some of those, those canoe things. And so... I ended up uh, going to the wrong place, and so we started down this trail, and right away I could tell that I don't think this is the right trail, and I didn't want to alarm the kids. I was seeing some signs of some stuff, so I said, why don't you guys just stop here and rest, and I'll just, you know, scud out to see where we are. And so as I walked down the trail, I, I saw some, some lines crossing a trail, like from hunters that they, they had, and I saw lots of signs of wildlife, and, and I remember clearly just kind of bridging over this, this rise, and on the other side of the rise was this great big black bear on the trail lumbering towards me. And in my head, I, I knew, don't run, don't run. But my legs and heart didn't listen to my head. And, and, and I turned around and I ran as fast as I could. And I, I was thinking, if I, heard the, I, if I hear the bear behind me, I'll change my strategy. But, but I just kept on going until then. And so I didn't want to alarm the kids, but I, I got them, and we, we got away safely, obviously. Now, listen, there are certainly times when running away uh, from something is a mark of cowardice. 
But there are times when, when fleeing is a mark of wisdom, and actually it's a, it's a means to victory. Now you can decide you know, which, which that was for me on that trail, but before you judge me too harshly, uh, I'm here today to talk to you, so it turned out all right for me, right? Um, now, the, the word translated flee, it actually doesn't mean to literally run away. It really means like, to pull away from or to separate yourself or remove yourself from situations that put you at risk. Uh, Paul's uh, personal work to Timothy was to flee um, all these things, including money and other things we talked about, because he knew that, that even the strongest, most godly people can be pulled in and entrapped by the lure of the world, just like the false teachers had been, and just like many believers that you and I know have been, have been pulled into to the world and, and Christian leaders. But uh, he doesn't just say to Timothy, flee, he says also to pursue. He says, pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. Now that word pursue means to, to chase after. It means to intentionally and actively move towards something. It means to intently follow after something or someone. So my, my question to you this morning, just as we kind of think of this passage, is have you ever like really intently pursued something in your life? No, just think about that. Um, I recently shared the story of, of how my wife and I met, uh, got together, so I, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail now, but uh, here's the short version of this. When I was hired at Ebenezer, uh, as Ebenezer's first youth pastor way back in 1988, I was this, this single, strapping, good-looking young man, uh, and, and the truth is, truth is, is that um, I, I hadn't actually dated for six years, not because I didn't want to date, it's because I didn't... I didn't meet anyone that I really wanted want to pursue. Until one night, uh, this, this cute brunette walked into our CNC group. And, and my initial impression of her in every way was positive. She was uh, cute. She was smart. She was fun. She loved the Lord. She was single. That helped out a lot, too. And, and uh, you know, all the qualities I really, I really appreciated. And, but there was some barriers or some challenges. She, she actually was visiting from Regina. She lived there. And she was attending a, a very demanding program at the university and was very committed to her studies. And so in, that, in a short period of time there, I had to make a decision. Uh, I, I, I like this person, but do I pursue her or do I keep on looking? Because just sitting back and waiting for a relationship to develop on its own would have been a futile effort. Now, obviously, I, I, chose to, I made the choice to pursue her. And... And not in a weird way, you know, in a very, um, just intentional with my actions. I, I called her. I, I asked her out. I drove down to Regina on my days off. I, I bought her gifts. I, I wrote her letters with a real pen and paper. I stamped it. You licked and put it in an envelope and you put it in. For those that don't know that. Okay. Uh, now, your story of pursuit might be very different than mine. Maybe you, you've really pursued some kind of athletic um, career, or you've really pursued education, or you've really pursued a, a job that you wanted. But what I want you to do is, is I, want, I want you to think of, of that moment when you were just, you were so committed to pursuing this that nothing was going to stop you, okay? Just think of that. Now listen to the words here. But you, man of God, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Paul is saying we are to pursue or chase after 
or intentionally actively move towards these, these qualities of godliness. Now, I'm not going to take a lot of time on this, but for example, righteousness, that simply means like personal integrity. It, it means that our, the actions of our life are morally upright. Or godliness, it means that the actions of our life align with God's character. Or faith, it's actually better translated uh, faithfulness or trustworthiness in our lives. Or love, which is what Pastor Chet prayed on, to, uh, on this morning. It, it's the kind of love that's, that's willing to sacrifice for the sake of others. Endurance is a great one. It, it, another word for it is steadfastness. It's, it simply means to, to stick with something when the going gets tough. It's something that we certainly need in today's society. And then last one is gentleness, which is, which is simply this great power that's, that's under control. And, and these... Um, you know, these, these qualities, these godly qualities, don't just magically appear in our life because we want them. We, we, need, to, we need to pursue these things. We need to, need to chase after them. And this brings me to like a first, I, I call them a discipleship principle this morning, but um, that, we, that we experience true life in Christ when we run from evil and evil things and chase after godly things. That's the first principle. When we, run af- when we run away from evil things and we chase after godly things, that's the first step. So let me ask you a question just as you're sitting there. How are you doing in running away from those things that put your relationship with God at risk? And all of us know what those things are in our life. So how are you doing? Are you dabbling in it? Are you moving towards it? Are you not even caring? Like, are you running from it? And then how are you doing in pursuing a godly character? Are you sitting back and hoping, hoping it's going to happen? Or are you actually, you know, really moving towards being this person that God wants you to be? So when we, we experience true life in Christ, when we run from evil things and we chase after godly things. Paul continues in verse 12. He says uh, these words, Fight the good fight of faith, of the faith. Now, not all fights are good, but some things are certainly worth fighting for. And for the disciples of Jesus, um, back then and also today, one of the things that we need to fight for is, is sound doctrine. It's, it's biblical truth. It's the Word of God is the Word of God. Now, the word Paul uses here um, literally means, it's kind of an active thing. It means you keep on fighting. It implies that this fight is ongoing, that it's a continual process that requires diligence and discipline. It describes a person uh, straining or, or contesting and giving their best to win a contest or battle. It's actually the word that, by which we de- devise the English word agonize. And, and in this context, it applies to both athletics and also to, to soldiers. You see, if, if you're an athlete, you know that athletes know the agony of training. Uh, they know that the strain of uh, preparation and the pain that comes from, from maximum performance. They know that they will endure times of suffering, uh, but that they view it as, as almost like beneficiary agony because it helps them do their best and win the prize. Now, uh, the NHL playoffs, for those that like those, are just around the corner um, for some teams. Sorry, Canadians, Canucks, Flames, and Sands fans. Um, but the, the pursuit of Lord Stanley 
in my view, is, is one of the most uh, grueling and demanding championships to win in all of sport. And yet, uh, in spite of how grueling it is, uh, every single player in the NHL is willing to do almost anything for the chance to hoist Lloyd Stanley over the head in the spring. They'll throw their bodies in front of uh, pucks traveling 100 plus miles an hour. They'll get driven into the boards by these, these huge 250 pound men skating 30 miles per hour. They'll um, lose their teeth. They'll get cuts on their face only to be back on the bench moments later with a new smile and stitches. And even, though, even when their bodies are battered and bruised and they can hardly walk, they willingly put on their jersey to do it all again the next game. Now, of course, the fight that Paul is talking about is not a physical battle. It's actually a spiritual battle. And the prize is not the Stanley Cup. It's, it's life eternal. And he is calling uh, Timothy uh, to, to enter this battle, to, to contend for the faith, to defend the doctrine of, of God's word. And so the, the principle that we can, we can see from these verses and pull that from there is that we experience true life in Christ when we, when we move out of the spectator stands and into, onto the playing field. You see, there, there's life in the battle. Even though there's, there's tension and struggle, it's always better to be you know, on the court than sitting in the stands watching. Like, we, we want to be in the battle. And so there's life in Christ when we move out, of the, out from being just simply spectators and into the, onto the playing field. Paul continues in verse 12 with this expression. He says, um, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when, you're made your, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So um, why does Paul use that phrase? Why does he say take hold of the eternal life? Well, it's because the promise of eternal life actually gives us hope when we're in the midst of the battle. It's a reminder that, e that even when uh, we experience life's most difficult and challenging battles, and we feel overwhelmed and we wonder if we can win in any kind of battle, whether that's a health battle, a spiritual battle. This looking at the cross and, and looking at, at, at eternal life reminds us the victory's already won, and it gives us hope to keep on persevering. Now, let me just return to sports for this analogy. Uh, a critical part of any athletic competition is the prize at the end. And the same is actually true in our spiritual lives. Here, Paul says, take hold of eternal life. In the book of Philippians, which he also wrote, he says this. He goes, brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting uh, what is behind me and straining toward what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me, heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, here's, here's why we need to, to strain toward what is ahead. And here's why we need to hold tightly to our eternal life. Uh, because, because if we don't, and we, we lose focus, and we lose sight of what is to come and the promises that are there, then, then the temporary or the momentary overtake us. And, and, the, and the fleeting things of this world tend to dominate our thinking. And, and eventually, if we're not careful, we begin to, um, we, begin, we let, life circumstances become the lens in which we interpret Scripture rather than the promises of God. So we say things like, God, why did you take, or why did you allow, or why did you hurt, or why did you not keep this together? 
And pretty soon we get disillusioned about, about our life because we're looking at God through the lens of our circumstances rather than looking at God through his eternal promises along the way. And so, uh, so we need to, to, stay, um, uh, to stay, stay focused on the prize. And here's the, the third discipleship principle. We experience true life in Christ when we focus on the eternal and not on the temporary things of this world. Now, those, those uh, three things are kind of connected in some ways, and I'm, I'm going to show you how. Before I, I leave this, this section, I just want to make uh, one other observation. I want you to notice um, in the verses that we've read all the active verbs that Paul uses from both athletics and also uh, the battlefield to describe the Christian life. So look at the, the verbs. Flee, pursue, fight, take hold. And experiencing the fullness um, of, of our life in Christ, it's not a, it's not a passive activity. Okay, so we, we can't sit back waiting for God just to act in our lives. Rather, we experience true life when we have an act of faith, when we, we actually you know, flee from things, when we actually pursue God, when we courageously obey his word and we move forward in faith to do what we know is right. In fact, I would go as, as far as to say that, that if you're not running from evil, and you're not intentionally pursuing God, then your faith is actually in decline, and you're at risk of drifting away. Now, let me just say that one more time. If you're not actively running from evil things, those things that pull you away from God, and if you're not actively pursuing the things of God, then, then, then your faith is at risk, is in decline, you're at risk of drifting apart from God. You see, it, it's impossible, and we, we don't always think this way, we think I could just come to church and, and my faith is just kind of there, it's, it's stable, it's going to stay there. But, but your faith never remains in, in a static place, in a stationary place. You're either growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ or your faith is declining. You're either moving forwards in your faith or you're moving backwards in the faith. But one thing that's for certain is you're not staying, staying the same place. And even in life, uh, this is true. So some of you have heard of the second law of thermodynamics, and, it's, and it says this. It's, it's that, that um, uh, states that within a, a system, nothing ever remains the same. Change is constant. And, and if, if in a system something is left unattended, it will always move towards uh, deterioration or entropy. So, for example, if you decide not to cut your lawn this year, it's not going to be this lush, beautiful grass. It's going to turn into a forest at some point. Okay, that's how it works. And if we don't give attention to our spiritual life, we're not going to stay the same. We're going to, we're going to decline. And then one moment or one day, we're going to make a decision that shows how far we've actually declined. So here's my question for you again. Are you, are you moving forward in your faith? Or are you drifting backwards in your faith? And if you're drifting backwards, what are you going to do about it today? So, we are to run from evil and pursue godly character. We're to fight the good fight of faith. And we're to hold on tightly to our eternal life. And why? Well, it's wrapped up in actually who God is. And Paul addresses this in verses 13 to 16. Now, this section is actually fairly theological. 
and I don't really have time to deal with it um, in a lot of detail this morning, but I'm going to give you enough that you can kind of grasp what's happening here. In, in verses 13 to 16, Paul is going to, it's almost like he's, he, he takes his detour, and he starts thinking about God and his goodness and his greatness. And then he breaks out into this, this song, this doxology that, that just declares who, who God is. And so let me just look at these, these verses uh, with you. And uh, this is what it says. Um, in the sight of God, who gives life to everything. So already we can see, oh, God's the giver of life. And of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. So we learn something about Jesus, that his example of that he, when he was under a trial, stood for his father. He made the good confession. I charge you, keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. This simply means that one day, Jesus is going to come back just like he promised. And when he does, he's going to hold people like me and people like you accountable for what we have done. And so that's why we want to be able to stand before him without spot or, 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 or blame. And then which God will bring about in his own time, meaning simply that the God is sovereign, the God is in total control of universe and time, and when Jesus is going to come back again. And then out of those things, then he just digs in further, then he breaks into this, this doxology, this expression of a praise to God. And he says, God, the, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and who lives in, in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. It's to this God, the one who is immortal, the one that we can't even imagine, to this God belongs praise for an ever and ever. Amen. And the reason Paul, I, I think, is reminding Timothy about who God is, is, is to encourage him to continue to fight the good fight of faith and not give up. Because my, my guess is that it was pretty hard to be Timothy in that environment, just like it was pretty hard to be Paul. And you know full well that, that when, when we get disheartened or we lose sight of things that matter, then, then it's easy for us to, to pull out or to quit. And what, what's happening here is, is, is Paul is saying to Timothy, look at God and look, look at all he is and may that bring you hope so you can keep on in the battle. Keep your focus on the eternal things and on the character and greatness of God and you'll make it. And he did. So here's the fourth principle. To experience true life in Christ, uh, we experience true life in Christ when we know the Lord, our God. And when I say know, I mean not just know about him, but we, we, we know him from our experiences. We, we, we've seen his faithfulness in our lives so we can trust him when, when we don't understand what's happening. So we, we know the Lord our God and we place our full faith in him. That's when we experience life to the full. Okay. So then he closes with amen. You think he's done, but he's not. He's just like another preacher, right? It's just like, and fourthly, I, of my three points. Um, so then, then after, after that, he, he, he uh, returns to the matters at hand and he engages in one of the topics that he's already talked about already earlier in this chapter. And that's the topic of money, wealth, and riches. So I'm, I'm going to talk about this as well. And I'm going to start by just reading the verses again. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, 
to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. Okay, so let me begin with some summary statements on money, wealth, and riches. First of all, it's not wrong to be wealthy. Okay, I'm saying that because sometimes I hear from people, we should, we should give everything away so we're poor. And, and that might be God's calling on you, and, and, and if you want to do that, you know, that's fine. But it, it's not, it, like God even assumes in this passage that there are going to be people that have riches. So it's not wrong to be, to be wealthy. In fact, I'm glad there's people with money, right? Because otherwise we couldn't support some of the ministries that we have if people weren't generous in their giving. And aren't you glad that, that maybe people in your life, God has blessed them with wealth, so they've stepped in and helped out you and encouraged you. So, so we want that. Like, wouldn't it be terrible if every believer was broke? Right? We wouldn't be able to, to do things, right? So, so we, want, we want God to bless us. But the issue is, is, is um, how, what we do with that. And I'll come to that in a second. Uh, second thing, I want you to know, even to the poorest student here, um, in comparison to the rest of the world, you are wealthy. In fact, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but uh, we C- Canadians are in the top 5% of all income people in the whole world. So that means 95% of the people in this world make less than the average person does here in Canada. Okay, so, so we are wealthy. Uh, third thing is that um, God is the, the source and provider of our wealth. In other words, he is the one who is the source. He's the one that provides what we have. And I don't know if you notice the wording here. He provides everything for our enjoyment. What? You know, Christians can enjoy things. Well, yes, they can. Again, it's not, it's not that we can't enjoy things, but we still want to be good stewards of what we have. And that brings me to the, the fourth uh, point, which is uh, with riches comes great challenge and great responsibility. And I want to I dig into these just a bit deeper as well. Here's some of the challenges of riches. What, is the, what did Jesus say? It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. You see, um, wealthy people are, are most in danger of having an incorrect attitude towards God. And, and I'm not exactly sure why. Like, it's one thing to, to want to be rich, which, which is what Kel talked about last week. It's another thing to have lots and to say, well, where's God in this? Because if I have everything I need, why do I need God? Right? So, so we, we, we get this, this mixed up view of who God is. Uh, in the passage, it talks about the challenge of arrogance. It's thinking that we deserve our riches in our own possessions. You know, it's thinking that, that um, I've worked hard. I studied hard in university. I have my degrees and masters or whatever else. I got a good job. It's very demanding. I get paid well. I deserve a nice whatever, right? So we, we get to thinking that, that we're deserving of this. And what does the Bible say in Psalm 24? It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, which means that, that, that uh, we are not owners. We're actually stewards of what God has given us. And all of us, whether we have much or little, need to be good stewards of what God has given us. Then there's a challenge of independence. It's putting our hope in our wealth instead of God. So, so we think that, that, that we have enough that we don't need God, but you know how fleeting wealth is, right? 
All it takes is, is, is one uh, financial crisis in the world, uh, one loss of job, one loss of health, one whatever, and also we realize all the things we thought we had aren't there anymore. And so you know, we, don't want to be, we don't want to be relying on our own finances. We still want to rely and put our hope in the source of those, which is a God. And then, and then, of course, the challenge of wealth uncertainty because it's fleeting and uncertain. And so we, we don't want to be doing those things. Then, then some of the responsibilities of riches. Uh, Spider-Man, what did he say? With great power comes... Come on. With great power comes great responsibility, right? And so um, with, with, with great riches or with riches comes great responsibility. And uh, we, have that, we have that responsibility, every single one of us, and some of us more so. And so here's what it says in verse, verse eight, um, 18. Uh, it gives us three things. The rich are to do good. In other words, if if we see someone in need and we have the ability to help out, as it says in, in Proverbs uh, chapter 3, we should do it. Like if we have resources and we come across someone, whether they're a friend or someone you happen just a random act, and, and you go, this person's in need, I can help out, you just do it. That's the beauty of having some finances that we can bless people with. That's a little bit different than, than being rich in good deeds. Good, good deeds, I, I would say, is not the random stuff, it's the intentional stuff. It's having, having enough resources that you say, okay, there's a need over here, we need a shelter for the homeless people, I can build it, I can buy a house, or I can run this program. It's, it's looking at bigger things that bless the community, that's what good deeds are. And then, and then to be generous and willing to share. You know, the beauty of being willing to share is that... Is that um, it takes us away from our own selfish desire. If you're feeling selfish about your stuff, you should just, between you and God, say, who can I give something to? I just need to break this cycle before it starts controlling me. And you just go around and, and you bless people, see what you can give away. But this is, this is what God calls us to do. He says, your riches um, that I blessed you with, you can enjoy them, but they're not for you to spend on yourself and all your selfish pleasures. They're, they're for the sake of others so that you could be a blessing to other people. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy here and those who are rich in this world. And he says, um, in this way, verse 19, uh, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they might take hold of the life that is truly life. You see, when we, when we use our money here and we start leveraging that, uh, we actually store up things for, for uh, us in heaven. This is what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But instead, lay up yourself treasures in heaven where not, neither moth nor rust destroys or thieves can't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there is your heart also. You see, you can know where your heart is, you just have to look at your own bank account or, or your own credit card statement. And when your heart, when your money is going towards needs like the homeless, then guess what you, who you love? The people that are down and out. If your heart is for missionaries, and that's where your money goes, that's where your heart is as well. And so that's what God is saying there. And so we store up treasures in heaven um, when we use our riches for God's purposes on earth. So here's the fifth principle. 
we experience true life in Christ when we generously invest in the eternal by doing good, by being rich in good deeds, and by generously and willingly sharing our resources with others. So let me ask you a, a, a very personal question. I'm not interested in finding out your banking information in Canada. I don't care whether you bank at Royal Bank or Credit Union or what your account is. But um, what's your heavenly account at right now? Are you in a deficit position? Is it, is it bursting up there because of your, all you're doing here? And we want to make sure that, that as we live our lives as stewards of what God has given us, that, that we're blessing people here. And in doing so, somehow God blesses us back. Finally, verses 20 and 21. And uh, these are the final words of, of uh, this, this book. They're not the final words of Paul to Timothy. There's a whole other letter called Second Timothy, which, by the way, we're probably going to do after Easter. And those really were his final words before, before Paul died. But this is what it says here in this letter. It says, um, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Now, let me just let me pause here and just talk about this a bit. So what has been entrusted to, to Timothy's care? In another version, it says, guard the deposit that has been given to you. So, um, well, one of the things that's been given to Timothy and actually to all of us who are believers is the deposit that guarantees our future, the, the deposit of the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit plays an absolutely critical role in our lives. And so we, we guard this deposit by the way we, we act and, and treat the Holy Spirit. We, we make sure that we don't grieve the Spirit by our actions. We make sure we don't quench the Spirit's involvement in our lives by denying Him or disobeying Him or ignoring Him. And so we, we guard what, what Jesus has, has given us when he, when he went back to heaven, the Helper, the promised Holy Spirit, who is in our lives, living with us, God with us. Second, Timothy, or Paul says to Timothy, I want you to guard the Word of God, to guard sound doctrine and keep the teachings and instructions without wavering or compromise. So even for us today, we're in, a, we're in a place right now where we need to uphold this as the Word of God. Do we look to this and believe that whatever this says is true and we understand it and we, and we obey it? These are the words of life. And the Spirit of God helps us understand that. And then the flock under his care. Specifically for Timothy, he was saying, you need to guard this flock. You need to protect them from the attacks of others. You need to lead them in the way they should go, and you need to feed them and nurture them in the Lord. And then the last words, and, and even though they're the last words written, what, 2,000 years ago, you could just take this passage and you could just put it into like a, a tweet right now. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge which some have professed in doing so have departed from the faith. Does this not sound like something that's relevant today? Does, does this not sound like, like a, the progressive liberal theology that's, that's, that's invading the church? And it's saying that, that, um, that we're smarter than God, that we have a better interpretation than, than the Word of God, and we've figured it out, and we've kind of reconstructed our, our faith? You know, they say and opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed in doing so have departed from their faith. 
Here's the reality. Whenever we pull the Spirit of God out of any environment, our life, the church, the study of God's Word, whenever we pull the Spirit of God out, we're left to our own resources. And the Spirit is life, not our own wisdom. And so eventually, if you track, track church history, wherever people have, have, have uh, quenched or ignored or, or left out the Spirit of God, that church would start a decline of death because that's what happens. And so we have to be careful here that, that we hold to the things of God, that the Spirit of God is, is alive and with us. And so here's the sixth principle for us. We experience a true life in Christ when we guard what has been trusted to us to our care. Everything about that. I'm going to invite uh, the worship team just to come up again, and we're going to close here. And just as they're coming, let me just conclude by reminding you what we talked about today. We experience true life in Christ when we run from evil things and chase after the things of God. We experience true life in Christ when we move out of the stands and onto the playing field. We experience uh, true life in Christ when we focus on the eternal rather than the temporary things all around us of this world. We experience uh, true life in Christ when we know the Lord our God and place our full trust in him. And we experience true life in Christ when we generously invest in the eternal. And of course, the last one, we experience true life in Christ when we guard what has been entrusted to us. So, so may uh, God find us faithful, just as Timothy was found faithful um, in his ministry with Paul. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this day again. Thank you for your word. So powerful. And, and I pray, God, that, that's, that somehow you would take these things and all that Paul packed into these last verses and you would take a thought, a word, um, um, an idea, and that you would deeply implant it into our hearts that we might follow you. Help us to be people that flee from those things that pull us away from you and help us to be a people that would pursue you with all our heart and strength and might. And so we, we commit this to you, God, and by your grace, may you do this in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Next Sunday, we have a, a special uh, guest speaker. We have someone coming from Jews for, for Jesus, and they're going to be doing a presentation called Christ in the Passover. And we haven't done this before, but um, the timing on this with Easter coming up, we thought this would be a great experience for us, and so we're gonna, he's going to help us connect the Old Testament Passover with the reality of, of the, the cross, and so we're looking forward to that. So that's next week in both services. He who has, is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can seem, to him be honor and eternal dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, go in God's presence and his power and his peace and enjoy the company of the people before you go. Thank you. <laughs>